a friend's walnut tree had fallen down and, and he'd been given this wood and, and he took it and the wood was just, it was holy wood. I don't mean it was sanctified, I mean it was full of holes. <clears throat> and he made this beautiful wooden bowl out of it. It's, 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 it's amazing that it looks as good as it does. I wouldn't want it myself, but it looks amazing. He managed to take this, this piece of wood with holes through it and transform it into a bowl where actually the holes became part of the pattern and the design. And God's good at that. We've, we've got the worms of sin that eat through us. And God comes along and he says, I'm going to take that and I'm going to make it beautiful. Isn't that amazing? Oftentimes, though, we, we look at that and we go, all we, all we feel is the worms. And that's kind of where we're coming to today in Habakkuk. Habakkuk knew all about worms. So why don't we pray, <clears throat> and then we will uh, we'll read that song. My voice has gone. I had too much fun in that last song. That was a good song. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you love us, despite us, because of you. God, I'm not, I'm not qualified to stand and talk about how, how amazing you are. None of us are. God, you're good. Would you speak this morning? Father, would you encourage us by your Spirit? Would you lead us by your Spirit? Father, be, be just so obviously present to us this morning. And we know that you are here, but God, open our eyes to you. Thank you. Amen. Amen. So if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Habakkuk, uh, chapter 3. Habakkuk is an easy book to find. If you've found Nahum, it's the next book. Uh, if you know where Zephaniah, who doesn't know where Zephaniah is? If you find Zephaniah, it's just before Habakkuk, or just after Habakkuk, followed by Zechariah, followed by Hagar, Malachi, and when you get to Malachi, you'll find you're almost at Matthew. So go to the New Testament and go back a little bit and find Habakkuk. It's one of those short books that, that maybe lasts, what, one, two, three, four, five pages in your Bible, depending on the print. This is a large print, so your Bible might be two pages. Um, <clears throat> just a bit of a recap. Habakkuk was... Habakkuk. 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 Hello. Can you hear? Oh, you can hear me, can't you? Okay. Habakkuk is a prophet in the time just before the, the, the land of Judah and the city of Jerusalem are overtaken by the Babylonians, which is about 587 BC. Uh, he's, he's a prophet who, who looked around at his society and he went, this place sucks. I mean, God... What are you doing? There's violence. There's people. They're making a mockery of the law. It's just, it's, 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 it's horrible, God. Why? You're supposed to be a God of justice. You're supposed to be a God who sets things right. Habakkuk might be a little bit self-righteous. So you, you, I don't know. I, I pick that up in him that he kind of has a vibe of, I'm better than the rest of them, God. And he says, well, God, when are you going to act to make things right? And God says, 
Okay, Habakkuk, good news. I'm going to act. In fact, I'm already acting. I'm sending the Babylonians. You know, the Babylonians, those super violent, horrible people. And Habakkuk goes, um, I, I, what? Sorry, God, I'm, I'm asking you to deal with the violence and you're dealing it with more violence. What are you on about God? Uh, and God has this beautiful reply and says, basically, trust me. He says, uh, chapter 2, verse 4, the righteous will live by faith. And, and Habakkuk, he struggles to deal with this idea that, that there are people, we're, we're all guilty before God, and that God can use even evil and twist evil. God can twist evil for good. Satan can twist good for evil. God's much more powerful. He can twist Satan's plans and use them for good. It's amazing what God can do. And we come now to, to the last chapter in Habakkuk. Let's uh, read it together once I've found it again. Habakkuk chapter 3. This, um, this prayer was sung by the prophet Habakkuk. Um, according to the Shigionoth, uh, your Bibles, let me just say the New Living Translation is a good translation, but they've put a few of the words in the margins because they're not sure how to actually put them in English. But I'm pulling them out of the margins because I think they're important. Uh, so your translation might have right at the top there, according to the Shigionoth. If you want to know what a Shigionoth is, so do I. Um, that's why it's in the margins. So they're not sure. Maybe it's a musical instrument. Maybe it's a particular meter or rhythm. Uh, it's, it's, it's a musical instruction. Um, I've heard about you, Lord. I'm filled with awe by your amazing works. In this time of our deep need, help us again as you did in years gone by. And in your anger, remember mercy. I see God moving across the deserts from Edom. The Holy One coming from Mount Paran. Selah. His brilliant splendor fills the heavens. The earth is filled with his praise. His coming is as brilliant as the sunrise. Rays of light flash from his hands where his awesome power is hidden. Pestilence marches before him. Plague follows close behind. When he stops, the earth shakes. When he looks, the nations tremble. He shatters the everlasting mountains. He levels the eternal hills. He is the eternal one. I see the people of Kushan in distress, the nation of Midian trembling in terror. Was it in anger, Lord, that you struck the rivers and parted the sea? Were you displeased with them? No, you were sending your chariots of salvation. You brandished your bow and your quiver of arrows. You split open the earth with flowing rivers, Selah. The mountains watched and trembled. Onward swept the raging waters. The mighty deep cried out, lifting its hands to the Lord. The sun and moon stood in the sky as your brilliant arrows flew and your glittering spear flashed. You marched across the land in anger and you trampled the nations in your fury. You went out to rescue your chosen people and to save your anointed ones. Selah. 
You crush the heads of the wicked. You strip their bones from head to toe. With his own weapons, you destroyed the chief of those who rushed out like a whirlwind, thinking Israel would be easy prey. You trampled the sea with your horses, and the mighty waters piled high. I trembled inside when I heard this. My lips quivered with fear. My legs gave way beneath me, and I shook in terror. I will wait quietly for the coming day when disaster will strike the people who invade us. Even though the fig trees have no blossoms and there are no grapes on the vines and even though the olive crop fails and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty, yet will I rejoice in the Lord. Yet I will. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes me as sure-footed as a deer able to tread upon the heights. For the choir director, uh, this prayer is to be accompanied by stringed instruments. So Habakkuk is an interesting prophet. It's a very short book. And, and he struggled, first of all, in the very beginning with the evil he sees all around him amongst his own people, uh, the people of Israel who are meant to be God's people, the equivalent of the church today. And then he struggled with God using Babylon, the equivalent of the world outside, the powers. And he's saying, how can you do that? And, and now in chapter 3, instead of struggling and questioning with God, Things are still up in the air. Things are still messy. But Habakkuk makes a decision in chapter 3 to set his eyes on God and on what God has done and who God is. And, and we're told right at the start that this is his prayer. This is Habakkuk not just questioning God, not just complaining to God, not just asking God why, which is, which is good stuff to do and which is a prayer as well. But, but this is Habakkuk turning to God and, and just saying, I'm going to trust you. This is his response to God's plan. We're also told that this is, uh, this is a, a, a song. This is a prayer and a song for those times when life seems out of control. When it seems like, like everything is going to hell in a handbasket and, and instead of God making it better, God seems to even be making it worse. Has anyone here ever been in that situation where you've said, God, I want you to make something better, and then God doesn't? And then maybe things even get worse. I'm reminded of Paul saying in the New Testament, he had a thorn in his side. He said, three times I said, God, for goodness sake, take it away. And God, who is loving and kind, looked at Paul and said, no. Habakkuk said, God, deal with it. And God said, I'm going to make it worse. And Habakkuk says, well, he says this prayer. And it is a song, and, and we're not sure exactly whether, it's, um, whether it was originally sung by Habakkuk, whether he wrote that it's a song, or somebody later said, this is where we're going to do the verses and all of that stuff. But, but it is a song. We've got the instructions at the beginning and the end. The word selah that I threw in, at, I think, the right places, uh, is a musical term. 
It's found only in the Bible in Habakkuk chapter 3 and 71 times in the Psalms. It's a musical term and um, nobody knows quite what it means, which is confusing. But the fact that this is a song is important because it's meant to be something that God's people can sing through the ages. Uh, A few years back, must be five or six years ago, I had uh, some CT scans. And uh, I'm I'm not the biggest fan of enclosed spaces. And I forget, I think somebody had said to me, what what they did was to sing songs to God while they were in that machine going, I mean, that's soft compared to those machines. They're horrible. And it's amazing because... I was able to sing, and it, and, and it helped in my head. I didn't annoy everyone with my crooning. Something about songs seemed to just reach us at different places. You know, people with Alzheimer's, and, and somehow they can recognize the songs from their youth. This is a song. This is for us to sing to God. This is for us to remember. That word selah that I told you about, no, nobody's quite sure what it means. The, uh, the Greek translation uh, of the Old Testament, the one that, that the New Testament writers were using, was something called the, the, the 70, the Alex X, the Septuagint. Um, they translated into Greek as a division. And there's debate and all of that, but I think the most likely candidate for what it means here in Habakkuk is, is that idea of, uh, of a division. Um, and, and I go along with the people who say that Selah here is like an underlining of the title for each verse of the song. So you have the title of the verse and then you have Selah, which basically means stop, think about what you've just heard. This is where our focus is going to be for this verse. Do we get that? Uh, That's why I want to put it back in there because I think it's important for us because if you read that first line just before the cellar, you basically understand what the verse is about. And so uh, I think if we look at this as a song, it's got all the characteristics of a song. The first cellar, the first underlining of verse chapter 1 happens at the end of verse 3. And so we've got verse 1 goes from verse 3 down to verse 8. And you might have noticed that we've skipped two verses at the beginning. The first verse just says, this is a prayer, blah, blah. You're not meant to sing that bit. Verse 2 is either an introduction to the song, but I think it also works really well as a chorus. It's quite possible, and if I was putting this to music, which you'll be glad to know I'm not, uh, I would maybe put verse 2 in between each of the verses. And like a good chorus, verse, verse 2 summarizes the main point of Habakkuk's song. If, if all you remember from today is verse 2, you've got the message. So why don't we, we have a look at that? And, and then at the end, you'll notice that the language changes. It goes from you God, you God, you God, to I, I, I. You've got a little bit of a bridge there and a coda right at the end. So let's go through the song. And the chorus I've heard about you, Lord. I'm filled with awe by your amazing works. In the time of our deep need, help us again as you did in years gone by and in your anger. Remember mercy. 
How do you pray when the future looks bleak? How do you pray when God doesn't seem to be answering your prayers? How do you pray when, when life seems tough? Maybe when it looks like it's going to get worse before it gets better. Habakkuk, at, at the very core of his prayer, stands his memory of what he's heard about God. He, he thinks back to what he's heard about what God has done in the past, of, of God's powerful actions. Habakkuk can, can look back to, to God taking his people. Remember, they were slaves in Egypt, and God rescued them with, with mighty actions. God, God arrived, and, and, and through Moses, did these amazing, these amazing things in Egypt and brought them out. They, they, they left Egypt with the wealth of Egypt. Egypt, this most powerful nation. God did that. And, and then they came to the promised land and, and, and God went ahead of them and, and they won battles that they had no right to win, that they, they, they just didn't have the manpower. They shouldn't have won. Time and again, the Old Testament is full of stories of God doing amazing things. The story of, I think it's Gideon, who, who has got these tiny force of people and, and God does, just God, God fights. God fights. And, and Habakkuk looked back and, and he says, wow, God, you have done incredible stuff. And he looks at it and he says, I'm just filled with awe. I am amazed that, that I follow a God who would do that. I'm amazed that I follow a God who can do that. God who does the impossible. And it's so important for us to, to stop and remember what God has done. And, and it's, maybe if you're like me, it's easy to remember intellectually and go, yep, 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 got it. But that's not what Habakkuk does. He, he allows the moments to fill him. And they were amazing moments, what God did, but... But actually, we've got more amazing stuff that we can think about. I mean, you, you read through the New Testament. Jesus, can, can you just picture yourself there as Jesus arrives on the seashore and a man naked runs towards him screaming and yelling and he's got slits on his wrist and his, and his, his hair is all over the place and he is a mess of a man and he's screaming, help, and he's screaming, get lost. And, he's, and then Jesus says, this conversation with the demons and, and next thing you know the man is sitting there and he's, he's, Jesus is saying give him, a, give him a coat and somebody gets him a coat and he's sitting there and he's perfectly sane. Can you picture yourself in that situation? Or can you imagine walking along and, and, and you're coming to the village of Nain and you see this funeral procession there and, and brings back all the memories of people that you've lost and, and, you, and you arrive and then Jesus you see ah oh, there's Jesus crying as well. And, and, and then you, you look at Jesus and, and he walks down. And next thing you know, this widow's only son is back to life again. And you're going, what? And can you imagine going with Jesus, knowing that there's people out to kill him, and he says, right, we're going we're to go across to, uh, to meet Ze um, Zechariah. Not Zechariah. Getting that totally wrong. Um, Mary, Martha, and 
Lazarus, I just had a, a, a premature senior moment. <laughs> you have Lazarus. And Jesus cries. And you're going, well, he's messed up this time. He should have come when, when the message came. And it took three days to get you. And next thing you know, Jesus is saying, Oi, Lazarus, get out here, mate. And Lazarus walks out and he's still, he looks like th- something from the mummy. And he's, he's just like, you know what? What? It's, it's easy to remember these stories. But Habakkuk doesn't just remember. Habakkuk relives them. It, it, Habakkuk's a, an artist. He, he relives it poetically. And he looks back and he says, in effect, Oh, God. You've done such stuff in the past. Do it again, God. Do it again, God. Do it again now. Show your might. Show your power, God. Show that you're in charge. Show that you are holy. Show that you are a God of justice. And and please, God, I know myself. Show also that you are a God of mercy. In your anger, remember mercy. that's, That's the hub of Habakkuk's prayer. He says, do it again, God. And treat me with mercy. Treat us with mercy. Don't treat us as we deserve. And the reason he says that is because Habakkuk looks back in the past, and the past where God acts, God always brings judgment. God always brings justice. But God always, 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 always brings mercy. You think the story we did a few months back, uh, maybe a year back, I don't know, the story of, of Sodom and Gomorrah getting destroyed and, and God's talking about it with Abraham and, and Abraham has this to and fro with God and, and Abraham says, oh God, uh, I forget the numbers, he says, if, if there's a hundred people there, will you destroy the city? And God says, no, 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 that's fine, for a hundred I will not destroy the city. And Abraham goes, well, what about thirty? And God says, no, for thirty. And Abraham goes, well, what about ten? And God says, no, what about ten? And Abraham goes, well, what, what? And in the end, you know what God does? He saves Lot and his family. Not because they're any better. You read the next chapter, they're just as broken as everyone who died. But God shows mercy. That's what God does. He shows his anger to two or three generations, but he shows his kindness to thousands. God's mercy always wins. This is what Habakkuk says. He says, I've seen you, God. I've heard about you. You are awesome. Bring Bring your justice, God. But for goodness sake, please remember mercy. This man who at the beginning was like, God, deal with them. And then God, at least we're not as bad as the Babylonians. He comes to chapter three and he says, God, we need mercy. We need mercy. We can't survive the Babylonians. We can't survive. We can't survive without you. There was a lot for God to be angry about, but but that's God. God is holy. He deals with evil in anger. And if that's where the story stopped. We should all go home in sackcloth and ashes and tears because we've got no hope. And yet God also remembers mercy. Isn't that exactly, Habakkuk looked back to what God had done in the past for Israel. I mean, 
we've just done communion. God's saying, I'm going to destroy evil. I'm going to deal with this stuff. I'm going to do away with it. I'm going to pour out the full cup of my wrath, my, my righteous anger. And I'm going to remember mercy. Because instead of pouring it out on Nick or on Reg or on Phil, I'm going to pour it out on Jesus. It's not that God says, okay, I'm going, to, you know, I'm going to hold my anger in. God doesn't hold his anger in. When God's angry, it's the right thing to be angry. But at the same time as being angry, God remembers to treat us better than we deserve. Isn't that amazing? Do it again, God. And then we come to verse 1. And then we come to verse, I told you, a good chorus tells you the whole story of the song. Verse 1, God is coming again. From, from Edom, from the hills of Paran. When, when Israel was in slavery in Egypt, uh, God came and God rescued them. The, 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 this area of Edom, Mount Paran, this is, this is the area of Mount Sinai. This is, this is where God revealed himself to Israel. He gave them his law. He said, I've rescued now. You are my people. I want you to be my people because I am your God. And, and Habakkuk here has this beautiful graphic imagining of God coming to rescue his people. Coming to rescue them again even, uh, says Habakkuk. He, he's not so much describing the, the literal historical effect, uh, actions as, the, uh, as, as imagining the effect of God's arriving as he comes. He sees the heavens full of God's splendor. He, he, he sees just this, this, um, uh, this amazing situation where the earth is praising God. He, he says there, there's this incredible brightness about the coming of God. And Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 6 verse 16 says that God dwells, God lives in unapproachable light. And, and Habakkuk's got the same image of just this brightness as God comes forth to deal with the enemies who are oppressing his people. God is coming and the whole world knows about it. Lightning flashes from his hand where his power is hidden. His power is hidden and he's so bright. His power is hidden and lightning is flashing. He sends disease before him, a plague and pestilence. It brings to mind the plagues against Egypt, doesn't it? Interestingly, the Canaanites, who probably mostly gone by now, but, but the Canaanites thought plague and pestilence were gods. Habakkuk goes, nah, they're just god God, the real God, brings him along. He's in charge. God's in charge of plague and pestilence. Here he comes. God, all other powers are subservient to God. They, they do what God tells them to do. And, and, and Habakkuk here is imagining the effect of God's presence. Have a look at verse 6 over there. When he stops, the earth shakes. When he looks, the nations tremble. He shatters the everlasting mountains. He levels the eternal hills. He is the eternal one. The most permanent of features, the, the things that from our time span just look like they're there forever, God arrives and they're like, blah, blah, blah. God's been there since before they were. He outlasts them all. Kushan, Midian, um, uh, where's this over here? Um, the Kushan, uh, people of Kushan are in distress. The nation of Midian tremble in terror. 
Uh, these, if you look at the geography, these are the first nations God would pass by on the way down, but, or up, depending on which way you look at the world. Um, but, but Kushan was one of the first nations to oppress the people of Israel. And it was the judge Othniel who, who God used to deliver Israel from the Cushanites. And Midian were like this perpetual thorn in the side, and our mate Gideon is the man who deals with them. And, 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 and it's not that Gideon was this incredible brave man of God. God's got a great sense of humor. He comes to Gideon and he says, Oh, brave man. <laughs> and Gideon says, Excuse me, I'm hiding. What are you saying? <laughs> not in those many words. The rivers and the seas weren't what made God angry. They were just in the way. God comes striding through, walks through, and, and it's like imagining it, what, what, what's happening is like you just see Habakkuk seeing the people of Israel walking through on dry land because God's just going, I am coming through right here. This is beautiful, poetic song language of what was happening, isn't it? Comes riding in the clouds, bringing victory to his people. You know, if you look at the beginning of John, speaking of do it again, do it again, God. Beginning of John, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and then he goes on to speak about the light was coming into the world. God who dwells in unapproachable light steps into the darkness of the world and the darkness tries to extinguish the light but it can't do it. And yet we also look at Jesus and, and we know that here is a man who is, is despised by men. There's nothing incredible to look at. People look at him and go, well, who do you think you are? You've got no right to, to claim all these things. His power supremely hidden in Jesus Christ. And yet, lightning, glimpses as he raises the dead, as he heals the blind, as he gives sight, uh, gives sight to the blind, as he, as he gives legs to those who are lame, as, 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 he, as he gives healing to those with leprosy, as, as he speaks forgiveness and life, and as he casts out demons. It's like the power of God is there, and people are catching glimpses of it. And, and then he goes on the cross, and the whole world goes dark. And he dies, and earthquakes, and tombs, and all sorts of things happening. The first coming of Jesus wasn't exactly terrifying. There were some shepherds in the fields by night who got a little bit of a fright for about two seconds when they saw one angel and they just got over that and then there were a few more angels and they probably ran and went to find Jesus. And It wasn't all that terrifying. You go, oh, the creator of the universe is crying. The first coming of Jesus didn't seem all that terrible. The power of God was incredibly veiled. But at his return, Revelation speaks of the earth being shaken and people calling on the mountains and the hills saying, just fall on us, hide us from the Lamb. Matthew chapter 24 verse 30. Have a listen to what we read over here. 
Matthew 24, verse 30, Jesus says, Then at last the sign that the Son of Man is coming will appear in the heavens. There will be deep mourning among all the peoples of the earth, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. When Jesus returns, there will be no doubt that he is the all-powerful one, that he is coming as judge. Revelation chapter 19, if you get a chance, read it, verse 11 through to about verse 16, um, speaks about Jesus as this rider with a sword coming out of his mouth. He's coming to judge. You read Revelation, there's other points where it talks about treading out the winepress of, of God's anger. Jesus' return is a scary time because God finally comes and says, enough is enough. I am God, I am king, I will have my way, and if you reject me, there are consequences. If you are not perfect, there are consequences. But here's the thing, when God comes in anger, and God's known since he created the world that he would come to judge the world. He knew us before the beginning of time. He knew that sin you did yesterday. And he knows what you did this morning. And he knows what you're going to do this afternoon. He's going to come and judge us. But in his anger, he remembers mercy. Which is why Jesus came first in quietness, announcing the kingdom of God is near. Repent, turn to me, believe the good news, trust me. There is mercy available if you will just trust me. Verse 2 starts in, in, chapter, in our verse 9. You brandished your bow, your quiver of arrows, you split open the earth with flowing rivers. You got ready to use your bow. God's not someone to be trifled with. When, when God comes to fight, to bring justice, I mean, you, you, you hear about the earth splitting apart, the mountains trembling, there's torrential rain, there's roaring water, the deep and the oceans, and it's the mighty deep cried out, lifting its hands to the Lord. It's almost as if the whole of creation, Habakkuk pictures it writhing at the coming of God. The sun and the moon stand still. They're like going, we're not coming out today because it's too scary. <laughs> not in so many words, but, but they remain in their habitation. He paints this picture of God angrily striding forth against the nations, trampling them in his fury, trampling against those who stand against his chosen people who stand against God's plans. And by the way, what are God's plans? God's plans are to show us mercy if we will trust him. That's why the chorus is so important. Do it again, God. I mean, Habakkuk, as he writes this, he's picturing this angry God striding out and he looks back and he says, God, you've done it in the past. Yes, we have this mighty Babylonian army coming against us now. They see that their own strength is their God. But, but, but Habakkuk says, I remember, God, that when you come, nothing can stand against you. And if the very earth cannot but tremble when you arrive, what will the nations do? 
Who can stand against us? Can, can war or famine or disease or angels or demons or anything in the whole of creation stand between God when God is on the move? Habakkuk says no. Romans says no. God says no. And so Habakkuk says, God, you're coming. You're ready to do this stuff, God. Do it again. Do it now, God. And in your anger, remember to show us mercy. Verse 13, you went out. You went out to save your people. You went out to rescue your people, God. That's who you are. We serve a God who has a history of winning all of his fights against the wicked. And yes, it might seem like evil wins. And yes, it might seem like like the enemy is storming out of the gates, ready to to, uh, destroy God's people. Yes, it might seem like your circumstances are there, gloating over you, about to bring you to your knees, about to destroy you utterly. Habakkuk's verse 3 is, but every time that's happened in the past, God, you win. In fact, you strike a head blow to the leader of the enemy with his own spear. Some translations don't bring that out, but but I think that's probably a good way to translate it. You you strike a self-goal for the other team. If you're wondering how that works, God. You did pierce, literally is what it says. You did pierce with his shafts the head of his warriors. Do it again, God. God has a history of rescuing his people. The evil that was facing Judah and Jerusalem was strong, but it wasn't beyond God's might. Nothing is. When God acts, God acts. But here's the good news. When he acts, he also remembers mercy. And for God to act, this is, this is the coda. This is, this is Habakkuk coming to the end of his song going, what do I do with this stuff? What do I do with what I've rem- remembered? What do I do with my imaginations of, of the effects of God's power as he comes? What do I do with this stuff? And Habakkuk says, you know what, the first instinct, uh, I, I keep going on about how awesome I find God. I keep going on about God, do it again. Uh, I keep saying, God, remember mercy. But, but my first instinct, verse 16, is to go, wobbly need is to tremble and shake because this God is not someone to be trifled with. Hebrews chapter 12, beautiful chapter about how we've, we've come to, to Jesus, to a better sacrifice, uh, how, how we haven't come to a mountain that's trembling and shaking and how, how much more blessed we are now because of Jesus and the people in the Old Testament than Habakkuk. But chapter 12 of Hebrews, uh, verse 29, he finishes the chapter and says, but hey, just remember this, our God is a consuming fire. This is what Habakkuk is on about. He's saying, God, I've looked at you, I've remembered you, and frankly, you are terrifying. You are terrifying in your anger, God. And yet you remember mercy. And so based on what you have done, based on who you are, I will trust you.
even though everything fail, even though everything go from bad to worse to worse to worse to worse to I don't know what we're going to do tomorrow. I will trust you. Because if you've done all this in the past, God, I'm going to trust you that you're going to do it again. When, when, when Habakkuk says, I will rejoice in the Lord, he's not saying I'm going to put on a smile and go, tiptoeing through the Babylonians. Welcome, welcome. God's good, isn't he? No, Bab- ha- that was weird, wasn't it? Habakkuk is not light-hearted. He's trembling at the knees. He knows things are going to get worse before they get better. But he has a sense that no matter what, God is for him. Did Habakkuk always have that sense about him? No. <laughs> It's one of the reasons, I think, why the song was written down as a song for us, because we need to be singing it. We need to be singing with Habakkuk. He's been through the ringer with God. He's been through questions, he's been through doubts, maybe even a little bit of anger. But as he sings the song, the the very remembering, the very reliving, the very uh, imagining the effects poetically of God's coming, remembering who God is, seeing God's character again for himself, it, it, it leads him to this place of living by faith. Faith doesn't mean that everything will be good. Chin and Michelle and, and us were talking the other day about the prosperity preachers who say, you know, become a Christian and, and life will be good. And That's not what faith is. Faith is saying, I'm going to trust you, God, even though it looks like life is going downhill. Because in the past, you've always come through. Habakkuk could look back at what God does. What did I said right at the beginning, we've got a better story to look back to. Remember that line where, where Habakkuk sings about God delivering a head wound, a self-inflicted head wound to the enemy? Well, isn't that exactly what we've got to look back on on the cross? Death swallowed up by death. What's the best way to defeat evil? Well, it's the evil act of killing God. which God is stronger than. But we still live in a messed up, broken world. And there are many Christians who are living today in situations that are not ideal. And there are many people here today who are going... Why doesn't God just do something? Why doesn't God fix this? Why doesn't God heal this? Why doesn't God just make things right because it's so messed up? Habakkuk's song teaches us two things. Firstly, it's a dangerous thing to say God fix things because when God fixes things, you're going to find out you're part of the problem that needs fixing. <laughs> and fixing evil is not, is not comfortable. 
when God comes in judgment, he comes in judgment. But, but Habakkuk's song, if it teaches us anything, it's this, God also remembers mercy. We need to sing with Habakkuk. We need to remember that God has always come through on his promises. We need to remember Jesus as the one who cast out demons, who woke the dead. He didn't bring them back to life. He woke them up. That's what death is to Jesus. It's, it's like saying, come on. This is the one who healed the sick. This is the one against whom nothing and nobody can stand. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. This is, this is the one who has proved it. Oh, but surely this obstacle is beyond Jesus' ability. You know, they put a heavy stone in front of his tomb where he was dead. That didn't stop God. Not the heavy stone, not the being dead. Can you imagine being there the moment when Jesus was raised to life? Imagine like Habakkuk did. It's not recorded in the Bible exactly what happened, but but can you imagine the effects on creation as the Son of God defeats death and comes back to life? And that stone is rolled away and, and the brilliance of his coming. And when life seems darkest, remember the brightness of those moments. That's what Habakkuk is doing here. He's not giving us a history lesson. He's remembering the brightness of God's coming and allowing that light to fill his life. One day Jesus will return to judge the living and the dead and he will destroy evil utterly and Satan will be thrown into the pit. Jesus said to us, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you as well. He said to us, pray this, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Habakkuk says exactly the same thing. Do it again, God. Bring it, God. And in your anger, remember mercy, because without it, we cannot stand. Do it again, God. Do it again and again. And bring it to an end. Finish it, God. finish it I don't know where you stand this morning I don't know what darkness is in your life or is going to come into your life I don't know whether you are here this morning going I cannot trust this God because he just hasn't pulled through because he seems to be it seems like he's got his hand off the wheel I want to tell you now 
the reason we get together on Sundays, the reason we read this book is because it tells us who God is and it speaks to us. God isn't just some idea. He's the God who has proven himself in history time and time and time and time again. And the biggest proof is Jesus who came and died and rose to life again. And our prayer as Christians is, How long, O Lord? It's the prayer of revelation. Come, Lord Jesus. Do it again, God. Bring it to a final completion. Remember to to bring your justice to this earth, God. And remember to show mercy. And God will. We're going to sing. We're going to sing together a song um, called Do It Again. (laughs) Do it again, God.